Trigger warning. This episode contains content about suicide. If you or a loved one are struggling with suicidal thoughts, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or message the Crisis Text Line at 741-741. Both programs are free and provide confidential support 24-7. Hi guys, welcome to this episode of Keep It Positive, sweetie. And today we're doing something a little different. I wiped it all off because I want you guys to get to know me, the real me. All right, so to get started, I am going to um, read this poem. It's entitled, Who Am I, You Ask? I am made of all the people I've encountered, all the things I've experienced. Inside, I hold the laughter of my friends, the arguments of my parents, the chattering of young children, the warmth of kind strangers, and the bright nighttime stars. Inside, there are stitching from cracked hearts, bitter words from heated arguments, music that gets me through, and emotions I cannot convey. I am made from all these people, these moments, and the universe. That is who I am. So I thought we would... um do something a little different. I want you guys to know me. I know you see me on TV. Um, you see what I allow you to see on my social media, but I wanted to really draw you in. Like literally come have a seat with me on my couch. And I want to tell you about me and how I got to where I am today and the backstory of Chris Renee that you guys may not know. All right, Denora, they want to know. So I know you got some questions for me and we just gonna get to the nitty gritty. Amazing. You ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> First of all, I think that there's something poetic about the fact that you wanted to wipe your makeup. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's something that as a public figure is very interesting because public figures feel safe hiding behind perfection. Yes. And hiding behind, mm-hmm. um, you know, covering what you might perceive as an imperfection. Yeah. Why was it important for you to do this conversation mm-hmm. in your realest, rawest? Because I want this conversation to be real and raw. I think that, like you said, a lot of times um, celebrities feel more comfortable hiding behind makeup. Um, and in that, I wanted to show my authentic self, show you guys who I am, the naked truth, just literally strip it all off. And I felt like, what better way to do this than to take off all the makeup and really just show you guys who I am. Perfect. All right. Cristalina, let's get into it. Okay, the that's, that, that, that's the, the little funny <laughs> name that I've given her, Cristalina, which is longer than Crystal, so it doesn't make sense, but that's her name. <laughs> to me, y'all can't call her Cristalina. Right. Um, but tell me, I know, we know, Martin, Tennessee, a town of what? 10,000 people. What's growing up in a town of 10,000 people like? You know what? I always say that Martin was such a small town that it gave me the most space to dream big. There wasn't a lot of noise. Um, there wasn't a lot of distractions. I was able to literally sit in that space and really just dream of a a whole new world, literally. And as a very young, young girl, I had a very vivid imagination. And my parents, um, they had me in the choir. Um, I would do church plays. I was very active as a student. And it was just something about 
knowing that there was something bigger that God had for me that was planted in me at a very young age. So um, I attribute a lot of my um, big dreaming to growing up in a small town. But I hear small town, and and this could be stereotypes, right? Mm -hmm. But I hear small town, and I hear almost like limitations, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. What is it about your upbringing or what, how you were surrounded that that allowed you to dream outside of what you were exposed to? Mm. You know what? I was very limited. You know, we didn't have um, the private schools. We had good education, but we didn't have the, the resources that a lot of big cities had. Um, I think that living there and the influence, the influence of television, the influence of magazines, um, I would watch music videos and Janet Jackson performances and her award show performances and I'd watch her in movies. I would watch Aaliyah and I saw these women, I'm like, I want to do that. Um, Angela Bassett, when she was in um, How Stella Got Her Groove Back and Waiting to Exhale, these were women that I looked up to at a very young age and I was very much influenced by them. And I knew that um, that was my window to something bigger than Martin, Tennessee. And when I would leave my house, all you see is a lot of land, cows, horses, farms, um, corn. It was a very agricultural-based city or town, so to speak. <laughs> it was definitely not a city um, town. And I really feel like um, media was my outlet, whether it was magazines in the grocery store that I would look through as my mom went through the cash-out um, counter or if it was me watching music videos when I wasn't supposed to <laughs> and watching TV um, that really influenced me and showed me that there was more um, that the world had to offer. Back in the MTV days. Yes, You would sit down for hours watching videos. Um, 106 in Park. Yes. And my dad, um, he was very um, strict about the music that I listened to because he knew that that could, um, it could either tarnish um, my behavior and uh, it was very, Music is, is still very impactful as we see in today's society and it was um, as well then. So my dad would get mad anytime he came, this is the funny part, he would get mad anytime he came home and I was watching BET. And now I'm on now two shows on BET. Two shows on BET. <laughs> two the shows. irony, wow. right? Now he's sitting down watching BET. Mm -hmm. Yep, you're right, I should get on him. <laughs> what, um, did you ever feel like there was an ex growing up, did you ever feel like there was an expectation for you to stay small town or or did everyone sort of encourage you to to build a life for yourself that would allow you to leave? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes, you know, I mean, it just depends on the environment you're raised in. But sometimes, you know, you're expected like, no, you stay here and mm -hmm. you like you you keep this sort of uh, yeah. uh, tradition, if you will, mm -hmm. of a small town family for generations, did you, where did you land on that side? Yeah, um, my parents always instilled in me to get a college education so that you have something to fall back on and then you can do what you wanna do on your own dime. Um, they were not big risk takers. They were very um, calculated risk takers. They were like, okay, we're gonna do this, get the education, get a jo good job, good health insurance and sustain a nice lifestyle. And, um, my childhood, you know what I'm saying, growing up, we had everything we wanted. Um, and my parents definitely pushed us to um, be active in school and outside of school. But 
for me, I always knew it was something more. And when I was in college, I ended up getting an internship. I went to school in my hometown. And that was only because my parents wouldn't let me take my car. If I had have known what I know now, then I would have said, y'all can keep that car for the first year and I would have went somewhere else. Um, I think I would have definitely learned a lot more sooner if I had a left home mm -hmm. instead of going to school in my hometown. But um, they didn't like hinder me or like try to talk me out of certain things. But I was always like a risk taker and I didn't care what anybody said. Mm -hmm. Like if that's what I wanted to do, I was gonna do it. It didn't matter if it was clothes, where I wanted to go, whatever it was, if I felt like this is what I wanna do, I'm gonna do it. My mom could be like, I don't like that outfit. And I would literally look at her and be like, I do. Wow. Like, and keep going. I was always very, I didn't care what other people thought. And um, and it wasn't like in a smart aleck way. I was just very confident in my choices at a very young age. And um, she was like, she laughs about it now. She's like, Crystal didn't care. She was like, you don't like it, I do. And it was like a self-esteem thing. It was like, I don't care what anybody likes. I don't care what other people are doing. This is what I want to do. This is how I feel comfortable and I'm going to do that. What do you think that comes from? Because I would imagine that that's something that you were either taught or you indirectly learned. Where does mm -hmm. that confidence at such a young age come from to be like, I'm gonna do what I wanna do whether you like it or not. And I feel good <laughs> in it. That's funny. Um, I think it comes from a sense of rebellion. You know, I grew up in a household where um, my parents definitely wanted the best for me, but it, was, it wasn't always the most free thinking household. It was very like, strict and you need to do this and it was strict in certain areas there were some things they would bend on and then other things it was like no you're not doing this until you're out of our house because they were trying to protect me but um I think a part of that I'm going to do what I want and I like this it was really me taking a stance in my own independence and saying I've done it your way for all these years this is what I like and this is what I'm going to do mm -hmm. yeah. so it was a strict household mm -hmm. was it like a religious household mm. Yeah, very much. Um, I grew up in the church. Um, we were there every time the church doors opened. And it was, um, we studied the Bible at a very young age by the, well, I was in the second or third grade. I knew every book of the Bible. Like it was that type of home upbringing where we um, were in the church and we studied the word. Um, I feel like the strictness really came from just like parents just not wanting something to happen to their daughter, you know? Cause I'm like, I know if I had kids now, like I don't even know if I want to bring a child into this world because how crazy it is. I couldn't imagine the feeling of something happening that I could have prevented, you know, if I was a parent. So as an adult, I totally get why they were the way they were. They were really just trying to do the best they could to protect me and keep me safe. Um, but in some cases as growing up, I had to learn lessons kind of late because I didn't get a chance to make those mistakes while I was still at home. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's how you see it in hindsight. Like, mm -hmm. okay, I can understand they were protecting me, but how did eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 year old Crystal experience that strictness? Um, Maybe we getting deep. We are getting deep. <laughs> you saw I just crossed my arms. It was like a- Is that an act of rebellion? Yeah, there's, there's an act of like, uh oh. <laughs> Um, eight, nine-year-old Crystal was um, definitely afraid of making mistakes, um, afraid of getting in trouble, afraid of reprimand, um, and 
I definitely didn't see it as I feel like it was like, gosh, I can't do anything, <laughs> you know. Um, at that age, I didn't understand it. Um, but I think a lot of things that parents do is what they were taught and what they saw. Some of the things that um, you know they were just doing their best still like haunt you as an adult. And you're torn with like, if they hadn't been that hard on me, would I be who I am today? Or am I still battling with things because of how I was raised? Can you share with us, do you feel comfortable enough sharing with us what's one of the things that you're battling with because of how you were raised? It was just the um, the way I was disciplined. You know, sometimes I just felt like it was harsh um, and unwarranted at times. Um, I know the Bible says, um, spare the rod, spoil the child. So... It's like, to what extent do you spare the ride? You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't know. It sounds like you grew up with a lot of fear. I did. I did. And it was like, it's crazy. And this is where it gets tricky because if you looked from the street view of my upbringing, you would have been like, this girl I want for nothing. Like this is a happy family, beautiful family. But there were um, there were um, generational curses that bled into my generation when it was time for me to be raised, and things that I'm trying to unlearn and and forgive and forget, you know, that are really hard to. Um, and as an adult, you try to be empathetic to your parent because you know that they were only doing what they were taught. You know, so it's like a, it's a double-edged sword where you're trying to be, understand like, I know you were the way you were because of how your parents were to you. And that's all you knew. You were doing the best you could, but now I'm fucked up. Like, I can't, you know what I'm saying? I can't like put it in any better way um, than that. There's a beautiful dichotomy there because there's the crystal that grew up with so much fear, mm -hmm. but there's also the crystal that rebelled and and it's and fearless. was fearless. Yeah, no, seriously. So how do the two coexist? You know, um, I almost feel like the fearlessness was a defense mechanism, you know, to show that like I am not this fearful little girl. I can do anything I want to do, and. I don't have to be scared of making mistakes, you know, and, and it got to a point where, and I still struggle with um, perfection, being a perfectionist to this day, 
because I want to make sure everybody's happy. I, I want to make sure I please everybody. I don't want to get in trouble. Like to this day, like I like even with work, like people make fun of me because I'm always like, you want to run it. I want. I just want to make sure I know everything. I want to be on par. I want to have everything memorized. And it's because I don't ever want to let anybody down. I want to make sure like I'm hitting my mark every in every part of my life. And as a child, like I just. I, I wanted to make sure I did everything right, but I wasn't doing anything right, and that's why I would get in trouble. And it got to a point where it felt like sometimes like nothing was good enough, you know? But I say that, and in the same breath, I say that I had a great childhood. Like, there was nothing that I wanted that I didn't get. Um, Two-parent household, beautiful homes. My dad built every house we lived in. Um, brand new car at 16, like everything a kid would want, like I had that, you know what I'm saying? Class president, class favorite of every year. I was in the yearbook for class favorite from middle school through high school, um, in student council, captain cheerleader. Like I was all those things, but it was times where I didn't want to be alive. Mm. It sounds like that was a lot of pressure because it sounds like you were always performing. Which is why I'm so good at what I do now. Mm -hmm. That sounds like a lot of pressure for a little girl. It's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. And I um, I remember like sitting in my room listening to um, Kirk Franklin told me now, and I still listen to that song today and it makes me weep because I just, I was like, it's too much. Like, I can't take it. Mm-hmm. And I see how um, people can, how it can look so perfect from the outside. And like, mm-hmm. you wonder like, how do they kill themselves? And I'm mm-hmm. like, I get okay. that, you mm-hmm. know? And I've never talked about this um, out loud and to people and I think the only reason I feel comfortable sharing it now is because if I had acted on those impulses, there would be no Christopher Renee Hazlett. Mm-hmm. And the life that everybody sees wouldn't exist, you know? Um, and I know there's people that are hurting and that are fighting with these same feelings and, and impulses to just end it all because they feel like it's just too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much, but um, I just want people to see that the person that they just like look up to and admire so much has been there. Mm -hmm. And um, I got through it, still getting through it um, Mm -hmm. and working through it, you know. How do you soothe that little girl? Because that little girl never leaves. She never. (laughs) That little girl never leaves. She doesn't. You know what, oftentimes I um, I look at how gracious God has been, um, the things that he brought me through, how he protected me, and everything that I went through made me stronger. Mm. And it's, in a way, it was like a hazing. You know how like you, um, you have like sororities and fraternities 
where they like they break you down so that when you go out in this world, nobody it's like it's nothing you can say to me that's gonna tear me down because I already been torn down. Like what are you, what are you gonna do? Like and that's just I feel like that's what it was in some instances where I was just like this is just too much for a little girl to take. Do you, um, I know this, but I don't know if the world knows this, that um, you lost your mom at a really young age. Are you comfortable talk talking about that, about your mom? Yeah. Um, my mother um, and dad, they actually met in college. Um, they had me, they got married and it was, um, I was two years old and she had a brain aneurysm and it just left me and my dad by ourselves. And to this day, my dad doesn't really talk about it. Um, my cousin once told me, he said, you were in bed and your mom was there and she wasn't answering the phone. And that's how my dad found me with my mother dead next to me. And, um, There are so many times in my life I wonder how life would have been if she was still here. You know, you wonder like, God, why did you take her away at such a young age? Like, why couldn't I have gotten to know her? You know, and it um it hurts, but I can't imagine what it would hurt like if I did actually get to know her and have that real connection. Um, but like, people have come up to me and say that I remind them of her. Um, and that makes me happy that like people see me in her or see her in me. Did um, you ever experience, I know that you grew up in a household um, that was both religious and spiritual. Mm -hmm. Did you ever experience anger at God? Did, like feeling that you robbed me of an experience with the mom, like did mm -hmm. that? There were times where I was like, God, why did you take her away? Absolutely. I wondered why, um, why he did that, why I had to go through the things I did as a child. Because um, I don't think my mom would have done that. Mm. Would have done what? Like raised me the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. How do you feel um, that not having been raised? Because you, you still had a mom. You still Absolutely. Had a, you and know. I don't want to take nothing away from... Right. That's my mom. Like, that's the only person I know. Like, from... She married my dad when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't want to take anything away from her because she did step into that role. Mm -hmm. And I want to be very careful not to bash her or disrespect her. Um, because I know she just did what she thought was best. You know what I'm saying? I have to be honest with myself when it comes to that. But at the same time, I have to also be honest with how it affected me. You know what I'm saying? I can't just be like, oh, I know that this, you only did what you thought was best and you were just repeating what was done to you or what you saw. I still have to hold it accountable to like how it affects me and what I need to do to like stop it from continuing. I have to break the cycle and um, break the curse, so to speak. 
So is that one area of your life where you feel that um, maybe the lesson here is this is the storm where you perfect your forgiveness? Wow. Whew. The storm where I perfect my forgiveness. That's good. I feel like I'm in a, in a space in my life now where I am rethinking the circumstances, mm. you know, and um, looking at it through a different lens, even though it still brings me to tears. Um, just rethinking a lot of things and understanding that I'm not a victim, you know, and, and also knowing that people have really been through some messed up stuff, worse than what I've been through. And we'll look at my story and be like, girl, please, what are we talking about? This was done to me. And it's like, you look at that and you're like, do I even like really have anything to talk about? But I know that if, if I were to have kids, I would do it different. Um, before we shift gears, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what would Crystal today tell that little girl? Ooh. <laughs> Crystal today um, would tell that little girl, baby girl, don't worry. Everything that you ever dreamed of is going to happen. Um, you are going to be the one that carries a legacy. You're gonna be the one that the world sees. You're gonna be the one that people look to and everything that you're feeling right now, because you live, somebody else is gonna live. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah. that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Sing it like, sing it like Celine Dion. Oh. I believe it's you, not the future. Yes! segue into that mm -hmm. is that um, every single year it's almost like he trusted you with this you stored it over it properly then he went like this mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then you stored it over it properly and then he went larger mm -hmm. and then he stored it over properly and then he went larger yeah um, and so I think it's it, I think we should tell people a little bit about your backstory because mm. you graduated college you moved to DC mm. start working for the US Senate yeah <laughs> Yes, um, I interned for the U.S. Senate my junior year in college. Um, my senior year, they called me and said, hey, we have a position open. We want you to come back to D.C. 
So um, my parents were like, yeah, that's a great job. Benefits? I said, yeah, they're like, go. <laughs> so um, I uh, moved to Washington, worked on Capitol Hill. I was a legislative correspondent um, for the Help Committee, which um, stood for Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. I worked for Senator Lamar Alexander, my senator from Tennessee. And it was um, definitely, I feel like D.C. is where I found myself. Like, I literally found myself in D.C., like, my personality, my sense of style. Um, I feel like I, all that kind of came together when I moved to D.C. And from there, um, I worked for two years, two and a half years on the, on the Senate. And some, one day, I, it was just like I was sitting behind the desk, and it was something was like, what are you doing? Mm. And I was like, I don't know. Mm. But why are you sitting behind this desk? Like, you know this is not what you're called to do. And um, we had just, I had, it's funny because um, when President Obama was running, he was in Senate first and he was running for president. I had an opportunity to go work on his campaign, um, but I ended up not leaving. I was like, I'm not gonna leave you and um, go do that. Cause the Senator, Senator Alexander was like, what we gotta do to keep you? Mm. <laughs> so I was like, pay me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I got what I wanted and um, I ended up staying with him. And sure enough, um, Obama won presidency, and I could've been working in the White House, but mm. that wasn't my that wasn't, that wasn't my journey. Mm -hmm. So I um, I told him I said, hey, I want to move um, to Atlanta. I'm gonna go pursue music and acting. And he knew I could sing, and he was like, I support that wholeheartedly. He was like, go, and he was like, I wish you well. He said, just don't forget about us when you get famous. And I was like, okay. And um, I moved to Atlanta. I didn't have anything. My uncle let me stay in his room. Before you mm -hmm. continue, though that decision and courage doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't. It's, um, it's it, that decision does not happen overnight. It's a, um, it's sitting in a season of um, uncomfortableness, mm -hmm. knowing that, and it's that uneasiness of knowing I'm not doing what I was put on earth to do. Mm -hmm. And um, you sit there long enough, it's gonna really start eating away at you. And it got to the point where I was like, I can't do this. Mm -hmm. I gotta take a leap of faith and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And, I had some amazing people in my corner. They were very supportive. They're like, okay, come on, this is what you want to do. We're going to support it. I had people in the music industry. They're like, when you get here, we got you. My uncle was like, you can stay in my spare room. You're good. And um, I did that. And it was the hardest year of my life. Mm. Um, it was just a lot of like, did I make the right decision? Lord, I know you didn't bring me here for no reason, but what's happening? And I... Got ended up getting a job at the complex um, ran by Divine Stevens, who was a choreographer, Usher, and uh, many other people. Um, super talented guy. I always find myself around what I want to do. Mm -hmm. So he had an artist development center, dance studio, salon, and a gym in one place. And I worked at the front desk for it. And he had a studio. He um, found Lady Gaga, um, worked with Akon, found Akon, and signed him. He, um, and he was also somebody who helped me through that time and really trying to navigate Atlanta when I first moved here. And I just kept hitting nose after nose. I started doing background work for movies because I wanted to get my foot in the door with that. And I started making some connections but never booking anything. And um, I ended up working, getting a job as a PA at Tyler Perry Studios in 2012. And I was... Tell us a little bit about what a PA is, mm -hmm. because I think people really need to understand. Yes, like what 
a production assistant. Yes. Um, a production assistant is um, the person that just does anything that the production needs. I was assigned to the costume department. So that entailed um, going to get the designers breakfast every morning, getting there before they did. Um, I would do all the product placement for the show. I was the one making the phone calls, calling Levi, saying, hey, yes, I'm working on a show, um, new show produced by Oprah Winfrey and Tyler Perry, and we wanted to know if you guys could send us some clothes for our actors, because a lot of times you save your budget by getting product placement by different companies. And um, I did that. I would go run errands. I would fly clothes to set. Um, basically, you're there to do whatever they need you to do. There's no, like, I'm coming to work and this is what I do. No, you do whatever we need you to do. And it was not a glamorous job. It literally, I went from making a great living to, I think it was like $500 a week. It was something like crazy. Yeah, a major um, adjustment in pay and lifestyle. Um, but I knew that like, I'm around what I wanna be around and God's gonna make a way. So um, I did that for three months and I got promoted to dress in the background. I dressed background for I think a year and then I got promoted to dressing the main actors. And um, from there, like I was actually on set, so I was able to study. I would watch the monitor and I would pay attention to their clothes, but then I was watching, I was studying their acting and their reactions and the timing. And um, it was literally like being in a master class and getting paid for it. And I was like, at this point I'm making good money. When I'm on set, um, costumers make pretty good money. And that's when things started to shift. And um, Tyler took a liking to me and I had went to work on a movie with um, Jamie Foxx, Gabrielle Union, and T.I. And I got a call from Tyler Perry Studios, and it was the president at the time. He said, hey, I'm calling because Tyler wants you to costume design the upcoming movies and I'm, or upcoming shows. And I said, me? And this time I'm starting to get called back, so I'm still grinding the whole time. Even when I was costuming and PA and all that stuff, I was during lunch, I would get auditions. I would run downstairs, tape them run back upstairs, eat. It was a constant grind. I was actively pursuing what I wanted to do while I was working. And a lot of people don't want to do that. A lot of people think that it just happens overnight and they're like, well, I just want to do this. No, you got to work while you trying to do what you want to do. And it's not always easy. It was exhausting. Like I would literally be on set behind the scenes trying to learn lines for audition I need to get on tape to get back up to work. And um, it was like, go, 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 go. And I had auditioned for a few roles um, at the studio, never got them. And when Tyler called me to do that, I was like, I thought he had seen my auditions. And I was like, dang, he must not think I can act. So I really was kind of like, damn, okay, maybe I do need to think of another career choice. <laughs> um, so I prayed about it and I took the position. And then shortly after that, I got another call asking me to be his um, stylist to help revamp his closet. And then that turned into being his stylist for five years. And at that point, I made a conscious choice to not audition for anything, to solely focus on Tyler because being his, Tyler's a, a big mogul. Like his life and the things he has going on is like a 24 hour job. So I had to dedicate everything to him for those years. And fast forward to 2019, um, sisters came about, we're having a conversation and, um, he was like, you can be a part of it. And I was like, well, in what way? And he was like, you can produce it. I was like, okay, because I was already costume designing everything he did. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'll costume design and produce it. Great. Still not thinking that I'm ready to tap back into acting. 
as the scripts start coming out, I'm like, these are my stories. This is my life. Oh my gosh. Like, this is it. I was like, this is the moment. This is now, this is when I need to say, Hey, Tyler, I want to act. <laughs> um, so I got the courage to do it and we talked about it and he was like, I got something for you. It's going to be a small role and what you do with it is on you. She can stay small or she can go as big as you want it to. And um, I looked at that man and I said, I will not let you down. And to see that like Fatima came onto the scene, nobody knew her name. She was Andy's assistant season one. And then um, she ended up running and literally running into Zach and um, the two of them and their relationship began to bud and the audience just fell in love with them. And I remember this day, clear as day, we were sitting on Fatima's bed, Tyler walks in, we're on the set, um, Zach and I, DeVal, and Tyler stops and he looks at us and he goes, I like this, and just walked away. And we were like, what does that mean? <laughs> And um, I was like, we're going to get our own show. He's like, I feel it. I feel it, Crystal. They love us. And um, I was like, man, I don't know. And um, sure enough, a year later, we're hearing chatter among the crew. And they're like, Satima, Satima's coming. Satima's coming. We're like, what? They're like, it's on the production schedule. It's on the calendar. We were like, oh, my God. And um, Tyler came to my birthday, and he gave a beautiful speech about um, when you honor another man's, God will bless you. And... Um, Somebody came up to Tyler and said, you really going to give Crystal her own show? And he said, that girl gave me five years of her life. You, know, you think I'm not going to bless her? And that's the heart of Tyler Perry. Um, he, once he realized that's what I wanted to do and saw how I served him and never said anything, and I'm talking about I gave that man 150% every day. Like, whatever he needed, I was there. And um, that's not the, the um, service that you usually get from somebody who has another dream. And he saw that and he was like, I would have never known that's what she wanted to do. And if I hadn't said anything, I would probably still be styling Tyler, you know, making a great living. Because um, Tyler Perry takes care of his people. Thank you, Tyler. <laughs> I always say thank you, um, Jesus and Tyler Perry. <laughs> thank you for being a vessel. Um, because he is. He's a man of God. He has a big heart. And um, he's changed so many lives and he definitely changed mine. Um, and encouraged me every day to dream bigger and even th to this day like some days I what I think is big he was like girl you are not thinking big enough um as a Christian mm -hmm. what I love about that story is that you like all I hear is that you were in a preparation season mm -hmm. that to you and perhaps to some people listening and watching this mm -hmm. felt like, wow, but that was a long time because that's what, five, six years, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. But then when you experience the, the glory maybe of that yeah. preparation season, it's almost like it could have, like I could have even waited longer mm. for this to happen. Yeah. Were you prepared? Did you feel that you were prepared for when all of this happened because it was, I mean, you hit the, the scene and you like became yeah. a fan favorite yeah. rather quickly. I was prepared. It had been 10 years since I moved to Atlanta. And they always say it takes 10 years to make an overnight success. Mm -hmm. And I moved here in 2009, Sisters was greenlit 2019. We shot the first season in 2019. So 
by that time I was ready. I was like, let's go. I've been waiting for this moment. And um, I was also ready in different ways, not just to act and do what I always wanted to do. I was also ready to um, be responsible over what was about to come into my life. And that was um, not, uh, not knowing at the time that when, and God has a way of doing this. He did this with, um, right before I came a costume designer, the designer before, she had an assistant, but she always wanted me around. And I'm like, why is she always asking me to come? And I love her, it was Janetta Boone, incredible costume designer. But I never understood why she always wanted me to be right there with her instead of her assistant. And a year later, I get the job to be a costume designer. And then it's like, ah, God, I see what you're doing there. You were making sure I knew what to do when this got put in my lap. He already knew. He, I know the plans that I have for you. Baby. Come on. Come on, Revelation. Yes. On this couch. <laughs> and then the same thing happened um, with Tyler. Um, and he didn't know it. He just thought he had a great stylist. But what he was doing was teaching me how to handle business because a stylist is a very intimate position. You are around this person all the time. They're having phone calls, conversations. You're at dinners with them. You see everything. You see their whole world. I got to see how Tyler handles stress, how he handles the pressures of the life, the empire that he's built. I got to um, hear business conversations and how he handles business. I saw the heart of the giving heart that he had. And I was like, okay, all these things, I'm learning so much. I'm learning how to move in this space. Tyler don't move any kind of way. And I was first, I was like, why do you do all that? Now I understand. You got to move different when God puts you in certain places. You have to uh, manage your money different. You have to give different, you know, and you can't get stingy when God blesses you. And um, these are all things that I learned right before it was time for me to be pushed into that light. And I was able to handle it so gracefully because I had been taught. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know that God was like, I'm going to place you right. He places me in the right places. And I always used to say, God, I know you're not putting me around all these successful people for me to be mediocre. I'm going, I know, because like it started off in college, like he had me around millionaires in college. I'm like, I know you're not putting me around these people and exposing me to this. If if this is all you want for me, you got something bigger for me. It's almost like he was dropping hints mm -hmm. early. Yeah, or very early. Yeah. Um, what I think is very interesting is, um, and where I think like that anointing over your life was so mm -hmm. clear was that in the midst of you having your heart burning mm -hmm. for this dream, mm -hmm. you understood, I have to serve though. I had to serve. And, and I could only imagine the amount of dreams that are six feet under right now because they were too proud Ooh. to serve. Mm -hmm. Too proud. What? created that discernment in you to say and, and you didn't stop mm -hmm. but but you didn't you still gave a hundred to where you were called to serve mm -hmm. because yes. that's that's where it becomes a problem right when yeah. people start feeling like I'm not supposed to be here they show up with nasty attitudes what gave you the discernment to make sure that you were responsible mm -hmm. here in your waiting season I'm gonna tell you what it was um when that opportunity came to me I prayed, I said, God, if this is what you want, want me to do, make it plain, I need you to order my steps because I don't know where I'm going. And I knew that I wanted to be creative. And as long as I was working in the creative space, I was gonna have fun. Um, Cause I love fashion, I love film and television. And it wasn't always just about being in front of the camera for me. 
So I was like, if this is what you want me to do, like order my steps and just make it very clear this is what I was supposed to do. And he did that. And I said, all right, God, if this is what you want, I'm going to give it 110%. We're going to do this thing. I'm not going to have to do nothing. So um, I've always been, I've always had the um, heart of a server. I always want to make sure, even like how I host, like I'm very like, are you good? Do you need anything? Like I always want to make sure everybody around me is good. So I've always had that hospitable energy um, to make sure that people are good. But I knew that if God put this in, get, put this in, on my plate, I had to honor it and I had to be responsible over it so that whatever was to come from it, if this is what I was to do for the rest of my life, I'm gonna be the best at it, you know, and I'm gonna put my best foot forward. And um, yeah. Um, before we transition into your closers, mm -hmm. what do you want, minister to Crystal today. Mm. What do you want to tell Crystal today? Crystal today, um, you have worked so hard to get where you're where you are. Um, this is only the beginning. Um, you always ask God to order your steps, and I feel like you should continue to do that um, because it, He hasn't steered you wrong yet. Um, continue to be fearless. Stop doubting yourself. Stop doubting what God has already done. Um, tap back into that little girl that was like, I don't care. I like it. That's what I want to do. Tap into that little bit of that rebellion spirit, um, but it's more like a confident spirit, knowing that whatever you put your mind to, you can do it because you've been doing it. And I would tell her to continue to keep God first. As you continue to ascend, you're going to get busier and busier, and sometimes busy is a devil's distraction to keep you away from God, but do not allow that to pull you away from God because as soon as that happens God's gonna start pulling everything else back so um continue to stay close to him keep him close to your heart and just continue to be good to people and understand that your living is in your giving which is something I already live by amen okay so positive outcomes I have been working in marketing since I graduated college in 2010. Lately, I have been feeling like I lack the excitement for the work that I am doing and I'm feeling an itch to try something new, specifically in entertainment. Every day feels like work. I don't feel like I'm in my purpose. What scares me is the job security that I currently have. Mm -hmm. I have a six-figure salary and great benefits. What obstacles did you have to overcome to have the courage to quit your job to pursue your dreams? And what were the practical steps that you took to prepare yourself to do it? Ooh, okay, that's a good one. Um, so when you get to the point where you can't stop thinking about what you want to do, then it's time to really start making your exit plan. But you have to be smart about it. Um, for me, I definitely um, had a, a little savings set up before. I'm going to just jump and move without any type of money saved up. Um, save up some money that you get at least, I would say try to save up enough to give yourself a year to like live off of, pay your bills, so that you can at least survive, because it's gonna be hard when you're transitioning. You're not gonna make money right off the bat, and it's, who knows how long that period is gonna be. Um, but I would be say be ready to humble yourself, um, because it doesn't always look, when you try to get into entertainment, I'm not sure what area of entertainment you wanna get into, but assuming it is in front of the camera, it's not gonna happen the way you see it and think or think that it happens for other people because 
like I said, for me, it was the ten, 10 years before everybody knew who Crystal Renee Hazlett was. Um, so be ready to be patient. Um, be ready to um, let the road be windy. A lot of people think it's going to be a straight road and you think, okay, if I want to do this, I need to do this, 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 and this. No. My journey to get here was so unorthodox. Most people I work with went to um, an art, a fine art school. They've been classically trained. Um, they've worked on other shows, other plays that came from Broadway. Other people had their own shows that they were on before. Everybody comes from a different journey. I stepped into it without any of that background. But if that's what if what's for you, then you have to put yourself in position, train, learn as much as you can about that area, and um, I would say that the practical thing to do is make sure that you have a plan. Don't just jump head first and not have any type of plan in place. And um, be smart about it. And I wish you the best. You can do it. I'm a witness. <laughs> so Crystal Renee Hazlett, what yes. are you going through and what are you growing through? Oh, I am going through letting go of childhood trauma mm. um and i'm growing through allowing myself not to be perfect mm. allowing myself to practice excellence mm. and not trying to be perfect mm. Whew, all right y'all this was a, a doozy denora had me crying up in here um I want to thank you guys so much. We like to close off with a keep it blank, sweetie. And today, um, for this one, keep it healing, sweetie. Keep healing. Um, know that it's a process. It's not going to happen overnight. But anything that you've been through, you can get through it. Seek help. Therapy is real, and it is very, very helpful. Um, and I advise it to anybody. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you want to write in to our positive outcome listening letter, make sure you write in to keep it positive, sweetie at gmail.com. You guys can follow me on pretty much everything at L-U-V Crystal Renee. Um, that's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all the things and on my YouTube. Um, guys, I hope this blessed you the way it blessed me. This in itself was therapeutic. I didn't know I needed to get that out. Denora, thank you so much for helping moderate this um, episode of Keep It Positive, Sweetie. I could have done this with anybody else because I trust you so much. I love you and thank you. This is a safe space for me. And um, I couldn't just do this with anybody, so thank you. All right, guys, until next time, we'll see you. And in the meantime, keep it positive, sweetie.